Well, I'm glad to be back. Uh, This is not my first time, actually. I was here about six years ago, and that was such a memorial service that six years later they've invited me to come back. And uh, so I I wanted to be with you this morning. A few things I want to get settled with you. You at Tomoka understand something, right? When Pastor Cord takes his watch off and puts it here, you all know what that means, right? Nothing, right? Then his phone goes off and it's time to go to point two, right? Okay, so that's the way we're going to go this morning. And I promise I'll have you out by 12 so you can eat. Uh, My wife is here with me today and you'll recognize her because when she thinks I'm finished, she'll start doing like this. And uh, we're just going to open a a wonderful part of the word of God. you have your Bibles, and you guys know the value of paper, but if some of you have iPhones, go ahead and use those too. My assignment was the book of Exodus, chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. We're going to go through the 7th chapter, verse 13. Now, I wanted to have a joke for you, because I come, and Wednesday night, Pastor Cord's got a joke, and I mean, he's absolutely hilarious. He brings the house down, and then on Saturday or Wednesday night. Then on Saturday night, Pastor Joe has jokes and Pastor Joe offered to give me his secret uh, catalog of jokes, but uh, nobody tells a joke like Pastor Joe, right? So I'm just going to start with a story. Years ago, it was a joke, but as I read this passage of scripture, this story came back to me. It's about a guy named Killer. Now, Killer was all of about 5'8", 5'9", 150 pounds, but he was a running back. And he, he was a fast running back, and he scored touchdowns. I mean, nobody could stop Killer. And then on the fourth game of the year, they played the University of the Philistines. Now, these guys, the short one, the one they call Shorty, was 6'11". And they were big. And they looked like bone crushers when they lined up. So the ball, the the home crowd was full of anticipation. Killer got back to receive the kickoff. The Philistines kicked off and almost immediately, Killer was knocked to the ground. Well, he, he bounded up and they went in their huddle. Quarterback called a play and the Halfback on this side ran the ball, hit the line, fell down. Crowd jumped up and yelled, we won't kill her. Give the ball to kill her. Well, the next play, quarterback handed it to fullback. Fullback got to the line, fell on the ground. Crowd went crazy. Give the ball to kill her. By then, the coaches say, give the ball to kill her. Third down, quarterback dropped back to throw a pass. Smacked right down. By then the stadium was throwing and screaming and stomping. Give the ball to killer. And the coach walks out on the field and he said, give me that ball to killer. And the quarterback backed out of the huddle and he said to the coach, killer don't want the ball. (laughs) Could be Moses. Could be you and I. Because when it comes right down to it, let's be honest. The reason people don't get involved is because they don't want to. 
We can have excuses. We can, we, in fact, we all carry, I think as you get in life, you are, you write your own book of excuses of why you don't get involved. But the very heart of the whole issue is that we just don't want to. And we don't want to, we don't get involved. That's kind of the way that I've looked at Moses. Uh, he's not by himself, a fellow by Jeremiah. When God said, I've got some work for you, Jeremiah said, I'm just a kid. Well, Moses couldn't use that excuse because by now he is about 80 years old. And as I look at my hero in the Bible, Caleb, who was 85 when he conquered. In fact, he was the only leader that conquered his land uh, in the new land. Everybody else failed. Old man conquered a mountain territory. Why? Because he wanted it. He went up to Joshua and said, I want that land. And he went in and he took that land. Well, here's Moses. Forty years as his mother's knee. Forty years in the school of the wilderness. God is preparing him. So we're going to pick up with verse 9 here. The more I can see it. Chapter 6, verse 9. Moses spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I want you to remember that verse. Put that in your mind. They didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery that was in. It goes on. So the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let my people of Israel go from this land. All right, he goes to Israel, his people, and they don't listen to him. Uh, God has already told him back in the, around the burning bush, you're going to go to Pharaoh and, uh, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, but he says, okay, they're not listening. Go to Pharaoh. So, but Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. A better translation of that. I've heard some people say Moses stuttered. There was a, he was slow of speech. But basically what that means is this. If you remember, Moses was in the court of Pharaoh for 40 years. He was adopted as, Mo, as the Pharaoh's son. And in the history of Egypt, whenever someone would go into the court to speak to Pharaoh, they were eloquent in their speech. If you've ever been in a, a courtroom, it's almost like the lawyers and the judge and everybody speaking a foreign language because you don't hear the way they speak in the street. It's very formal, very precise. And so Moses, the only thing he could think of was, I, I just can't speak. Well, what did God say? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, we're going to just see a couple of verses of this, but I want you to hold this in your mind. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. And go skip on down. What I'm looking for is Simon. These are the sons of Simon, and you can read those at your leisure. Next, he goes to the sons of Levi. 
And he names the sons of the Levites. Now, that's the only three of the 12 sons that he actually mentions. And there's a reason for that. And we'll get to that in the lesson. So let's skip down to verse 26. It said, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring my people out of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. And it was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people from Israel, from Egypt, this Moses, this Aaron. And on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Now, that's very important, that I am. Now, I'm not a great theologian, but I've come to realize that there's something about those two words, I am. Okay, when you go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and when Jesus is questioned, he would often say, I am something. Now, that was a clue to these great religious people who knew the law inside, outside, backwards, frontwards. They knew the law. And Jesus continually said to them, I am. In fact, if you go to the garden when they sent a mob to get one man, the crowd asked him, are you Jesus? And all he said was, I am. And several hundred fell to the ground. And the reason is that I am introduces Israel here to Yahweh, the God of the covenant. This is his Name. In fact, it was so holy and so reverent to the people of, of, of uh, Israel. When you go to the earliest scrolls, the, the people that were trying to translate them would find something very weird. They would be reading along and all of a sudden there would be a bank blank space with nothing written. There would be room, but nothing was there. And then they would continue. And as they studied, they come to realize that Israel thought the name Yahweh, I am, was so holy that they could not write it. And when they said Yahweh, they whispered it in reverence because they were talking about the one true God. Not only that, he was the covenant God. Now, when you go back to chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, you'll find out that this is something that Moses found out about. In chapter 3, verse, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, it says this, Moses said to the Lord, if I come to the people of Israel, the God of their father, and tell them the God of their fathers has sent you, and they ask me who sent you, God instructed him to say, I am. The I am, the great I am, over and over. When you, you, you need to read these chapters in conjunction with chapter 3, 4, and 5. Because God is repetitious. God continues to talk to Moses. When Moses said, I can't speak, he said, you've got a brother Aaron. He even says that to Moses, I'm going to make you like God to Aaron. And when you read the chapter 5, I believe it is, God gave Moses three signs. He gives a sign that we all remember. Throw down your staff and he threw it down. It turned into a serpent. 
And God said, pick it up by the tail. Now that's interesting because if you pick a serpent up by the tail, you better hold him far from you because he can still strike you. But Moses reached down and picked it up and all of a sudden it was a staff. There were two other, there were two other signs that God gave Moses. He said, Moses, put your hand into the fold of your garment and take it out. So he put his hand in, he took it out, and it was leprous. God said, Moses, put your hand back in. He did, and when he brought it out, it was healed. Third thing God told Moses to do is to get some water of the Nile and pour it out on the ground. And when he poured it out on the ground, it turned to blood. You see, Moses was getting a preview of that first plague that God would bring on uh, Pharaoh and his people. Uh, further, as you read, God even says to, to Moses, I'm going to harden Moses' heart. Now, that's kind of one of those hard passages of Scripture. I've had people bring that up to me as a pastor and say, see, it, God is not fair. It says right here, Pharaoh never had a chance to believe in God. And I always look at them and I'd say, well, chapter and verse, where did it say that Pharaoh would never get a chance to believe in God? Because, see, folks, it doesn't say that. What that simply means, and Joe told me to make sure I speak Hebrew. I can't say the word, but in the Hebrew, this is what it means. God was going to let Pharaoh do as he chose to do. And if you want a New Testament version of that, in Romans chapter 1, when Paul talking about the condition of the world, there's three times God says something. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them order. It's like God stepped out of the way and said, if you don't want to believe, then I'm not going to hinder you. Go your own way. But you see, when God allows you to go your own way, you better know which way you're going. Because the Bible also says there's a way unto man that seems right, but the end leads to death. So God did not take one man and say, okay, you're going to be the one guy I just don't want. No. He saw every sign. He saw everything that God's hand did. And in his heart... He refused to believe and he began to harden. Now, let me say something to us. One of the problems of old age is what we used to call hardening of the arteries, right? I think they got some new, a a greater, longer name that costs more money to cure. But basically, it's the hardening of the arteries. And what happens when your arteries get hard is you just stop moving. You go sit down and you're lazy boy, and pretty soon your artery's going to stop up because you're not doing anything to circulate your blood. You've got to stay active. You've got to continually think so that you don't get this. So there is a way that you can become hardened. God will harden a heart when that heart continues to say no to God. The most dangerous is when God calls you through His Spirit. And convicts you of a sin. And you realize that you're a sinner and you have no hope. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's no way you can be good enough, long enough. 
in order to save yourself. And yet, even though you know your condition, you continue to say no to the one who has the offer of life and salvation. Your heart begins to be hard and hard. Folks, I have been at the deathbed of men who and women who have turned their back on God and said continually to them, no, no, no. I have watched them in their dying moments scream out and curse God because they had moved to the point in their life that God had just walked away and let them go our own course. You and I, we're not like kids. You know, young people, they think everything they do is right and they think that they know the right way. The proudest time of my life is when my three sons at different times came to me and said, Dad, you're not near as stupid as I thought you were. (laughs) The reason was they now had children and they understand. You see, we've got something wonderful, guys. We've got something money can't buy. We have something that no university or seminary gives a degree in. And it is life experience. And the most precious life experience in the world is the experience of walking with God all of your life. Oh, we won't always know where to go. We won't always know what to do. We may not always have those signs that God was given to Moses. But when we follow the Spirit of God, when we follow the Word of God, we know that wherever we go, however we go, it's going to be the very best way. We have to take our raincoat because it'll rain. We have to take our flashlight because we'll go in dark valleys. But we need to understand when God, this sovereign God, lays out a plan for a life, He has it planned from the day you are born to the day that you open your eyes in front of him. He has the plan. That was free. It really wasn't part of my message. Mike, pull up chapter 7, please, sir. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. Remember? Out in the wilderness... He said to Moses, okay, you got to have Aaron. He'll be with you. And he began to show, speak to Moses. Moses responded and Aaron was watching everything that God told Moses to do. And when he did it, he saw the results. You see, it wasn't that Moses became God. That wasn't the issue. The issue was to though that one, Aaron, that heard him. He recognized that what Moses said came from God. And so Aaron learned the lesson. And now we're in Pharaoh's court. And he said, I'm going to make you a God like to Pharaoh. And you shall speak all that I command you. Go ahead. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people go. Remember, Moses couldn't speak. So your brother Aaron's going to say, let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He had already told him in the wilderness, you're going to speak to him. But his heart will continue to be hard. In fact, when God called Jeremiah, he told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're going to have a long ministry. but Nobody's ever going to listen to you. 
Jeremiah never had a comment. I mean, that, that's pretty tough preaching week after week and nobody listened. But he knew it going in. But he did it. And Moses did it because God said, do it. He will not listen even though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Go ahead. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by the great acts of judgment. Okay? And the Egyptians. Now, there's something else in here. Everything that God was doing to Egypt was evangelistic. Joe and I, like I said, we've been to Egypt many times. And everywhere you go, they have tremendous temples uh, to this God and that God. In fact, Pharaoh himself named him. And in his name, he named the God that he worshipped and that he himself became. So there's an evangelistic reach to the Egyptians God has sometime got to jumpstart people to begin to listen. But in God's heart, it was never that he wanted to destroy Egypt. In fact, the Bible, Egypt is mentioned, what, the second most time in the Bible after Israel. There's a passage of scripture that said God loves Egypt. But here, God is going to do to Egypt and to Pharaoh, to this leader, because of the blindness that he's led his people in. The Egyptians shall know, I am the Lord, okay? When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out my people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. As you continue to read this, you know the story. They went in. Moses threw down his staff. It turned into a serpent. Pharaoh called his magicians and and the wizards and the wise men, and they threw down their staffs, and they became vipers and snakes. But the thing about it was Moses' viper cleaned up, ate them every one, and swallowed them. That was that first sign, the first sign that God had given Moses, the first sign that God did before Moses. Now, Mike, bring up uh, verse 7 of chapter 7. I like this verse. I've laid a lot on Mike, so he's got to find it. Now, Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, I'm not a young puppy, Shane. Shane's 50, but that's a young guy, right? Amen? I mean, still not even wet behind the ears. I'm 75. I think I got five more years before God can use me, I guess, because Moses was 80. Caleb was 85. You see, there's some lessons that I'm going to bring out here in these scriptures. There's only four. Here are the lessons. Number one, God is sovereign. You see, I don't care what the world says. You got a basketball player named LeBron James that thinks when he speaks, he speaks with the authority of the world. We have movie stars that do, does the same thing. There's a psalmist that says God laughs in derision of people who think they're wise. 
God is a sovereign God. And unless you understand that the one that you refuse is sovereign. What does that mean? He rules it all. The Bible tells us that before the foundations of the world, God knew each one of us. Not only knew us, knew our name, when we'd be born, how long we would live, his plans for us. He spoke. The world was created. I laugh at scientists. Just recently, Joe talked about they had just found uh, a, a star that was just beginning to, to, uh, to live and to grow. Well, I believe that when God said, let it be, it was there. And it's taken all of these years for scientists to simply find out what God said, let be. It's not a baby star. It's been there. We've just now found it. God is sovereign. And if you sit here this morning, And you have never experienced the saving faith of Jesus Christ, that blood, that body that we talked about. Then you're simply saying no to a God that not only created all, set the world in motion. He also is in every plan and purpose in life. God is not a God that is dispatched. He is in the lives of his people. When God speaks, he expects a response. And that response is not an excuse, but it is a response based on faith and trust in God and not yourself. I want to tell you, if I have faith and trust in myself 46 years ago, when God called me to speak, I mean, I'd been a public speaker. I'd run for, uh, excuse me, an office in high school. I knew how to speak. When God called me to preach, it was a different motion. My first message was 22 pages front and back of a legal pad. And I got up that morning and realized how in the world was I going to read? I couldn't read what I I wrote after I wrote it. In fact, after those 22 pages, I spoke and and spoke and spoke. And about 12 minutes later, I finished everything that I knew to say. I didn't have any confidence in myself. But you see, my response and your response to God is not what you think you can do. It's what you think God can do through you. Now, just as three times when you go back to chapter 3 through chapter 7, God was very patient with Moses. Over and over, he, he, he repeated himself who he was. He showed him what he could do. He told him what was going to happen. That goodness that God gives us is called grace. Grace, grace, marvelous grace. But just like you'll read within those chapters twice, it's recorded that God got angry at Moses because he failed to respond. Lesson two. You remember when I brought up the... uh, the family, we call, I call them the begats, and they had Reuben and Simon and Levi. Those are probably the three worst references you could give for the background of Aaron and Moses. Aaron and Moses was from the tribe of Levi. But they were the very worst. You know why? Because if you go back and read how they treated Joseph, those three guys and those three lineages had nothing to brag about. So the lesson is your past. Your family history doesn't matter when God is calling you. I don't care what you've done. 
I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care what your family's past is look like. God does not look for pedigrees. He looks for availability for those people who will listen and respond and obey. So don't worry about your past. Scratch that from all of your, from all of your excuses. Lesson three. You remember the one that said Israel would not listen to him because of the harsh labor? They were depressed. I think it was over 400 years they cried and asked God to deliver. And they're kind of like us. We'll get all down and depressed and we'll cry and we'll pray and we'll do all of these things. And God answers and, and we choose not to believe. Here was the man that God sent to answer their prayers, and yet they would not listen. They would not respond to him. Here's the lesson. You get out of communication with God. You get out of the word of God. If you get out of listening through prayer, when you distance yourself from God, you become depressed because you don't have anything else to place a hope in. Don't let it slip past you. Jesus not only was crucified and killed and buried, he was resurrected. And 40 days later, he ascended to the Father, where today he is alive and well-making intercession for us. That will lead you out of depression. Listen, we have a promise from someone who is alive, who has a history of answering every promise he ever made. The thief on the cross in his last hours, instead of mocking him like the other thief, turned to him and said, remember me when you go to my king, your kingdom. Jesus said, today you'll be with me. Jesus keeps his promise. This fourth lesson, I'm going to challenge you all. There's a problem sometimes in churches, Joe. When I was looking for a church, I was, what, 67, 68. <laughs> and I found out as long as the pulpit or pastor search committee could read how old I was, I didn't get any phone calls. <laughs> you know why? Because all the church needs is a 30-year pastor with 40 years experience to draw in all of the young people so that the church will thrive. I want to tell you something. The church needs young people for a reason. Jesus, we don't know when he's coming back. And you and I may not live to see him come back. And so the body of Christ has got to still become, be, to, to still be working at gathering the kingdom of God. And so we need that young people. But sometimes when I hear pastors preach that and people talk that, it's almost like saying if you hit 65, you can just sit down. I remember several years ago, they, they, they even said to people, we don't need old people in the business world, so at 62, you can retire. Just, just leave. Now, what they were really wanting to do was hire somebody at half of your salary who didn't know anything that you knew. But you fast forward, all of a sudden, they said, we're going to push that retirement age to 70. Because I want to tell you something, there's value in senior life. And you have, if you have bought to the lie that you have lived your life well, you have served Jesus, you've worked in the nursery, you've done all of those things, now it's time for you to sit down. 
That's one of the greatest lies Satan will ever tell you. You know, when I turned my church over to another man that I'd brought in two years previous, you know what, what word made me chill? When people said, I heard you retired. I'm serious. Joe, tell you, that bothered me. See, I'm not retired. God's not through with me. And the reason I know God's not through with me, I'm not a spook standing up here talking to you. I'm still in the flesh and still alive. This church not only reaches the world, it goes through its community. You remember how Sherman's march to the sea? You remember that? He destroyed everything in his path. This church does the opposite. On its way to the uttermost parts of the earth, this church lifts, builds up, feeds, strengthens the communities that it goes through. But you can't do that with young people who have a job from 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, and four kids that scream and holler. Listen, our time of life is the greatest time in the world. I don't care how much money you have. To be honest with you, at this time in your life, you got more money than you ever had. I've always thought people ought to have plenty of money when they're in their 20s, and then when they get old, just fend for themselves. Because I have three kids, and I needed it. Now the only thing I really I've got to spend my money on is my missions to Egypt and other places that we go and the community and four great-grandkids. And I don't mind spending that money at any place. You see, we got plenty of time. We're out of the normal workforce. And so if you're sitting here today saying, I don't know what to do. I was here on Sunday and I had tables from one end of the place to the other that had opportunities to serve. Now, I'm going to put Joe, Pastor Joe and Pastor Court on the spot. If none of that stuff looks like something you want to do, make an appointment, go down, sit down with them and tell them your story. Tell them who you are. Tell them your life experience. And then say this to them. How can God use me at Tomoka? And I guarantee you, both those guys will have an answer. Why? Because way back, I'm going to stretch your memory, way back at the beginning of our study of Acts, when Luke wrote that, he made this statement. He wrote to his friend and said, all the things that Jesus started. That's the key word. See, by then, Jesus already ascended to heaven. But what he said was what he started. And we're here to finish it. And there's not a lot of... A lot of things that God gave the church to do. One thing, a mission. Reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you live, where you go, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's one mission. But God has uniquely equipped us. Paul said we're like the body. Listen, I'm getting to that age that some of my parts of the body don't, don't want to cooperate. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of bad, you know, when you think you could lift something, you know, you can or the things that happen. But you know what? This old bad shoulder I got is very important to me. If I didn't have it, I'd walk like this. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't be complete. And without every part of the body of Christ involved in reaching people and not only reaching people. Feeding people if they're hungry. I guarantee you, a hungry man will listen to the gospel when his stomach 
is full. A person without clothes will listen to the gospel when they're wearing clothes because those clothes and that food are a literal sign of hope. This is what Jesus did. Let me finish up with two Psalms. I give you a prescription for life. Every morning, read one Psalm. Not a big, Psalm 119 will stretch you. I take that in three days. Now let's see what the psalmist said. Psalm 71. So even to old age and gray hair, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power for all those to come. That's kind of my prayer. Another generation, another generation. Psalms 92 is is great. It starts out talking about how great the works of God are. And as David usually does, it talks about uh, the wicked. But then he says this, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Now listen to this. They shall bear fruit, still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He's my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Paul in the book of Titus very pointedly pointed out a ministry. We got young men and young women today in life struggling on how to live life in a very immoral world. And that assignment for old men and old women. For the old men, you're to be sound of mind. You're to be an example to the young men on how to live life. To the old women, you are to teach the young women how to love their husbands, how to love God. If you're sitting here today and I were to ask you, how are you involved? The answer of retirement is not there. Because the only retirement age we have recorded in the Bible is when Jesus, the psalmist said, blessed in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. Because they've made it. They've crossed the finish line. This morning, I urge you, if you have never listened and obeyed the call of the sovereign God to come to Jesus, Today is a come to Jesus moment. If you're sitting here wondering, maybe you're bored and you admit it. Listen, be a part of this church, reaching your community and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray and then I'll be over here. If you want to make a decision this morning, if you'd like to, we'll be right over here. If you need prayer, if you'll come right here. We'll be glad to pray for you. Father, you've promised that when your word goes forth, it will not return to you void. Lord, reap a harvest this morning in Christ's name. Amen.